All right. Well, welcome, everybody. So good to see you all here this morning. Um, and as I mentioned, uh, we are starting a brand new series uh, called Arrows Living Towards the Target. And the whole idea behind this series is for us to look specifically at different relationships within our families. And so I know that as we start talking about families, that that can be a topic that is uh, difficult for some of us. We look to our past. Uh, maybe there's wounds there that, that are still um, causing um, issues and, and pain. Maybe for some of us, our present, our, our current families aren't where we want them to be. And we look at the future and it can look difficult. And so what we want to do over the next five weeks is to be able to look at various different family relationships and to be able to see what it looks like, to see what God's target is for these different relationships and for us to be able to find out how it is that we could become and live the life that God wants us to live specifically within our family structure. Now the verse that, one of the verses that we see is kind of the main kind of couching this series is the idea from Psalm 127, 3 through 5a, that children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. And so using the analogy of children being like arrows, we're going to go through this series and not just look at our current kids. We will do that in a couple of weeks, but we need to look at how we were as kids. We need to look at how that inter interacts with how we are as parents or how we are in a married couple or whether we're still growing up and trying to figure out what all that looks like. We want to take the next several weeks to dive into that together. So if you will join me in a word of prayer, we will dive into our topic for this morning. Father, we thank you so much that you Love each and every person here. God, each and every person uh, that is in this room or listening online later is someone that you formed in their mother's womb, that you breathe life into us, Lord, and that's someone that you died for, Jesus. And so I pray that as we dive into your word, as we talk about family and how that could be tough and how that can be great as well, Lord, I pray that um, as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, you would increase, that you would speak in a powerful, personal impactful way to each and every one of us, Lord, as we um, learn what it is to have you as our Heavenly Father, what it looks like for us to live lives towards the target of pursuing you in our family life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I know uh, for some of you, you may be looking at um, and looking this idea of, you know, sin right across on the top of that. We'll get to that in a second. Um, before we do, though, I wanted to share about, uh, I've shared this before briefly, but I wanted to uh, give you a picture this time that um, I've shared with you that my family history, um, as all of our family histories, has some ups and downs. We have some difficult things. We have some uh, great things. But one of the things I've shared with you is how specifically difficult it is, uh, just for the fact that I never got to know my grandparents on my mom's side. Uh, reason being is, if we haven't shared before, is that... Um, my mom's dad, sorry, my mom's grandpa uh, started the San Diego Zoo. So if we could show a picture, uh, when we came here a couple of weeks ago, or a couple of years ago, uh, it's a picture of me and the girls standing in front of uh, the bust of uh, Harry Wegaforth. I know your first concern is, no, that bust is not to actual scale. He was not that big. Um, but no, we... Uh, it's one of those where we ended up being able to be here and, and to celebrate, but it's this moment of, there's this pride, like it's, oh my gosh, what a cool story. But then when I say that, people say, oh, did you, you get to go for free, or do you get any perks, or what's that look like in your family? And that's where the flip side of that story is. So we look at that picture, and that's my great-grandfather, Harry, but his son, uh, 
So who would have been my grandpa? He, when my mom married my dad, who my dad's not white, he's Guamanian and so Pacific Islander, um, when they got married, that side of the family cut my mom off completely because he wasn't white and because there wasn't that, you know. And so my grandparents on that side never cared to get to know me or my brother. Never spoke to them once, never had any connection with them. Um, And so there's this moment of, oh my gosh, what a cool family story that we're able to have. You know, someone started the San Diego Zoo. That's amazing. And then there's the painful family story of yet being completely cut off because of race or because whatever reason. And I think that kind of encapsulates how many of us have some great things in our families and others of us have really painful pasts from our families. And, and at the same time that can be happening where both of or we could experience both at the same time rather. Now, what I want to do and I want to share is if we go, if we look at how the title for today is called Sin, Generational Captivity, what we're doing in this Arrow series is over the next five weeks, we're going to take different terms that are archery terms and to be able to then explain different familial relationships. And so many of you may know this, some of you may have forgotten, and some of you will learn for the first time that sin, the word sin in the Greek that we see translated as sin is the word hamartia, which is an archery term for the idea of missing the mark. And so when we talk about sin, that was what they used in the New Testament to be able to talk about how whenever we sin, we are missing the mark of the life that God has for us. We're missing the mark of the perfection we would need in order to live the life on our own within the law. On our own, we would need to be perfect every single time, which is impossible, that we all fall short of the glory of God. We all miss the mark. And so from the very first generation with Adam and Eve, all the way through this generation and to all the generations to come, we all have this sin. We have this idea that gets passed down of missing the mark because we have sin in our lives, every single one of us. But what we're talking about today specifically is the idea of this generational captivity, the things that have been in our past, in our parents' past, in our grandparents, all the way back. What are areas in our lives? that we have, that we say, oh, we have these different sins that have been passed down from generation. We have these different struggles that get passed down from generation. We have these certain issues and we can just keep passing them on or we could allow God to work in us and through us and to teach us what our main point is for us this morning. Because our main point this morning is that we are all products of our family's past. We are. We are all products of our family past, but we don't have to be prisoners to it. That we don't have to be stuck there anymore. That we don't have to be stuck in generational captivity. That Jesus came to do lots of things, but in Isaiah 61, one of the things he did was to come and set the captives free. We don't have to be stuck in the same sin cycles, the same struggles, the same hurts, the same habits as our fathers and forefathers and ancestors before them. So in order to dive into this, I'm going to ask that we turn to Genesis 45. We're going to look at the story of Joseph. Not the whole thing, because the whole story of Joseph is from Genesis 37 through 50, and it's quite long, and it's an incredible story. But we're, not, we're going to focus on the, la- the last chapter of it in Genesis 45. If you brought 
your own Bible or a phone, that's great. Genesis 45, if you didn't, there's a church Bible in the seat rack in front of you, um, and you can go ahead and turn to page 75 there. But what I want us to look at is a couple different things. The first part is the idea that we are all products of our past, that like Joseph, we're all products of our past. I'm going to give some context Then we're going to go through some ideas together. Then we're going to dive into the scripture in a few moments together from Genesis 45. So in your notes, here's what we want to say. That like our families growing up, Joseph's family had a lot of generational baggage. A lot of generational baggage. And and a lot of things that you would look back on. And it's encouraging for me to be able to look at other people's lives in the Bible and be like, oh, they were messed up too, because then it means that there's still hope for us, right? And so we put people in the Bible as if they're characters, and we use the word character as if they're part of a play, as if they're not real, as if they're just fictitious. No, no, no. These were real people with real baggage, with real struggles that really had to learn how to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and love other people as themselves. Like, this is not some story from faraway land. This is real life. And We look at the generational baggage of real life. Pete Scazzaro, who I've quoted many times, and I will quote many more times uh, from Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he has a chapter talking about to go back in order to go forward. He has this quote here, this quotation that says, the consequences of actions and decisions taken in one generation affect those who follow. That the decision from my grandparents to not get to know To cut off my mom once she married my dad affects me. It affects my brother. It affects our kids when I have to kind of explain things, what's going on. It affected my mom because all of a sudden she didn't have that same support system. I mean, one decision goes to generations afterwards. And that could be a a harrowing thing. The hope is, or the beauty is, that that can also be a beautiful thing, which we'll hit on in a couple moments, that like our families. Joseph's had a lot of generational baggage. Let's, let's look at some specifics. In the next part of your notes, his family had problem, or sorry, patterns of lying, child favoritism, and brothers being cut off that were passed down by each patriarch. That when I was reading this book by Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro, he had a page, and, and I didn't copy the page, but I'll, exp- I'll, I'll tell you what it, wrote, what it said. But it was a page in which it showed These three different types of sins or these three different types of generational baggage, these patterns that made them products of their past, that they looked at lying. Lying, we see that Abraham lied about Sarah being his sister twice. We see that Isaac and Rebekah lied to each other. And we see that, so Abraham lied about Sarah. His son, Isaac, and his wife, Rebekah, lied to each other. Their son, Jacob, lied all the time. His name actually meant deceiver or the one who grasps the ankle. And then Jacob's kids, he had Joseph and his 11 other kids, 10 of those lied about Joseph's death. We see lying, boom, 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 boom. What about child favoritism? We see that Abraham, he had Ishmael with his, uh, with his concubine Hagar, but in the end, he ended up, you know, God said that Isaac was the chosen one, right? And so Abraham, because of that, he favored Isaac and sent off Ishmael. Then Isaac favored Esau while his wife, Rebecca, notice how they're lying together or lying uh, about one another and to one another. Rebecca favored Jacob. Then Jacob ended up uh, favoring Joseph and Benjamin, which created this jealousy, which was then he gave J- uh, Joseph the, the technicolor dream coat, right? And that created this jealousy and stirred that anger within the other brothers. 
in order to the point where they went and sold him off to slavery. So lying, child favoritism, and then brothers being cut off. That we see Ishmael was sent off, and, and God told Abraham that the line was going to be through Isaac. And so Abraham was supposed to separate it, but think about it. Ishmael and Isaac were separated, and the people group or the, the faith that claims Ishmael as the right, true um, one to follow after Abraham are the Muslims. And think about all the enmity that has happened through generations. So brothers being cut off, Ishmael and Isaac. We think about, we think about with Isaac, we think of how because Jacob and Esau... Jacob took Esau's birthright and all these different things, so then they were cut off for years as well. And then we close with Jacob's kids, Joseph. Again, they cut off Joseph. Joseph was uh, sold into slavery in Egypt for 22 years before he saw his family again. That when we look at individual stories and we just read the book of Genesis as an individual story, we, we know these stories, many of us do. When you look at them through the lenses of generational baggage, through the lens of generational patterns, we start to see that lying, child favoritism, brothers being cut off, that this is something that was being passed down. This was something that, even though they probably wouldn't have said, Isaac probably wouldn't have said, hey, it was really tough being separated from Ishmael. I want to make sure that my kids are separated the same way. Or the same way that Jacob, when he's separated from Esau, says, hey, you know what's really fun? Brothers hating each other. I'm going to make sure that my, my kids hate each other too. Like, this is not what happens intentionally. But these patterns are caught unintentionally, and they can have great ramifications for us and for the generations before us, but even more so for our generations and the ones that we pass it down. So for you, maybe, maybe it's not lying and favoritism and, and family members being cut off. Maybe for you, if you were to take a look at your pattern of your life, of your generations, maybe for you it's patterns of divorce or alcoholism or substance abuse Addictive behavior, maybe it's sexual abuse or physical abuse or verbal abuse or emotional abuse. Maybe it's poor marriages, maybe it's kids run away once they hit 18, maybe it's pregnancy out of wedlock, maybe it's mistrust of authority, maybe it's just family tensions, or maybe it's sibling rivalries. I mean, those are just to name a few that are patterns that we can see that if we were to take a step back, it's no longer just a collection of individual stories like Genesis, this is a pattern. And what does it look like for us to see, okay, yeah, we are products of those patterns, but we do not have to be prisoners to them moving forward. The last part of your notes in that top section here talks about this idea here that like the patriarchs, if we don't learn from our pain, we're likely to pass it down to those we love. If we don't learn from those painful pasts, that generational baggage, if we don't stop and not just live the track that it seems has been laid out for us by our ancestors, if we were to break free from that captivity of that track and actually be able to live with freedom, because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, we would be set free from Feeling like, we, well, even if I don't want to, I just always do the same thing that my parents did and they do what their parents did and on and on and on. Now, let me be clear. There are some of you who you have great parents and great grandparents. This is, this is not all doom and gloom. This is not all negative. And so the point of this isn't for us to slam our, our parents. It's not for us to be able to slam our grandparents or things like that. We can acknowledge wounds without attributing blame. 
Like we can acknowledge that there are times that things have happened and maybe it was out of their control because maybe they didn't have an opportunity to have God grow within them and dive in and help them be shaped. Now there are times, again, to be clear, that there are times when there's very clearly someone that wronged you. And I'm not glossing over that in the slightest. Because in a room this size, I can only fathom the depths of pain that have happened here. I don't pretend to know. I don't pretend to have all the answers. I don't pretend to be sitting in your shoes. But what I do know is that we don't have to be captive to those things. That when we have a right relationship with God, he can work and he can heal, not just our present and our current sins and struggles, not just our future to help us to become who he wants us to become. He can help heal the wounds of our past so that our present improves and our future can have a better foundation. That we, you, can be the generation that breaks cycles and changes generations to come. So we see this. Pete Scazzaro talks about this, that we look at our families not to find fault, like I mentioned, not to just say, well, you were the worst and you were the worst because that doesn't heal. We look at our families not to find fault, but to get a realistic picture of what was healthy and unhealthy so we can grow, heal, and mature into our authentic selves in Christ. That we look and we just get an accurate picture it's like when you take a photo and like, remember when you guys had to take photos and then like go somewhere to get them developed and you all, you take it and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I only had 24 on this Kodak, Greek, 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 like you like wide it and then you tell like, oh, I have my thumb in 26 of them. The math doesn't make sense. Don't do the math. But it's just this idea of like, you look and you're like, oh, I, you would just take a picture and you might be able to say, okay, this was my, who I was trying to take a picture of, but looking at this picture, there were parts that weren't perfect. Yeah, I put my thumb in the way. Or, you know, it's a little blurrier than I thought. This is a picture. This is a, a way to look at it, not a way to just assign fault to everybody. And so for me growing up, I remember the things that I, I've, I've shared this with you, but I'm just continuing to share it, is little things like my desire for perfectionism and my desire to, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the um, ideas of different temptations that we have or lies that the enemy wants us to believe. And, and we talked about how performance, possession, and popularity were those three. Well, for me, it's performance that I am what I do and popularity, I am what other people think. Those are the ones that I personally struggle with most. And so because that's true, part of that goes back to I remember I shared before I had um, a good report card one time. I had all A's and I got one B. And I remember my dad wasn't trying to be mean or rude or harsh, but I remember he just asked genuinely, like, oh, what happened with the B? But because I already have this idea of what I am, what people think of me, and I am how well I do with things, what does that tell me? Got to be perfect. You got to be perfect. You got to get all A's. You got to be perfect. You got to have it all together. That was not his intention, nor do I find fault or blame. It's just a small picture of what I experienced and how now I have to recognize that when Shaylin is doing something, it's like if I'm looking at her homework, if she has a, a word spelled wrong, do I stop her and be like, oh, you know what? You spelled this word wrong. And so you really should do better because, you know, we want to be like, no, 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 right? You got to be aware of our past so we could influence the pe present and impact the future. I don't want to pass perfectionism down to my girls because I know the weight of perfection is heavier that I could handle as, as, as a grown man, it's too heavy for them as well. And it's too heavy for you. And so 
taking the moment to acknowledge, not to find guilt, but to see a realistic picture, what's healthy, what's not. And so this is what Pete Scazzaro says as we get into our next section. He says, discipleship then is the putting off of the sinful patterns and habits of our biological families and being transformed to live as members of Christ's family. Now, is that all discipleship is? No, that's not the only thing about it. But Discipleship should include looking at who we are because of where we've been so that we can get an accurate picture to see how God might shape us and remake us and mold us into his image, not the image of our forefathers and the track that's been made out for us, but that we'd be able to be free from that, experience generational freedom, not captivity, so that we can live the life and be who God has called us to be. So, how is it that we are products of our past, but we don't have to be prisoners to it? I don't, I don't, so the next part of your notes is not prisoners to our past. I don't want to show of hands because it could be uncomfortable, but just inwardly think about how many of you can think about family patterns in your lives that you vowed you would never pass on to the next generation or you would not pass on to your friends if you don't have kids yet, you, to your friends or to people you love. How many of you would vow, I will never be like my mom in this way, or my dad in this way, or my grandpa this way? And yet somehow, you open your eyes 40 years later, you're doing the same things that they always did. With all intention of not doing so, again, no show of hands, but I think that resonates with a lot of us. So this, again, Pete Scazzaro says, this idea takes to the very heart of spirituality and discipleship in the family of God. Breaking free, we're not prisoners, we're breaking free from the destructive sinful patterns of our past to live the life of love that God intends. So we're going to look now at Genesis 45, and we're going to just look at the, the first 15 or so verses. And what I want to do is, is walk through what Joseph did, because Joseph, we saw all his generational past. We saw the line, the favoritism, and the brothers being cut off. And his, the background is, is, as I kind of shared, his brother sold him into slavery. They lied to his dad. His dad thinks he's dead. While he's in slavery, he ends up getting uh, more prominence within Potiphar's home and becomes powerful and influential. And yet, because Potiphar's wife wants to sleep with him, he ends up you know, getting accused of it falsely. But she throws him into prison anyways. And so then he's in prison for, several, for two years. He ends up getting free out of that by being able to interpret the dream of Pharaoh and then gets to a place of prominence in which he says the dream that you're having, Pharaoh, is that there's going to be years of plenty. We must store those years. It's seven cows eating, and then there's seven skinny cows that eat the fat cows. It's, it's a lot. But they end up talking about how there's going to be famine, seven years of famine, or sorry, feast, and then famine, so we need to store ahead. And so Pharaoh's like, I want you to be in charge of taking care of that. And it's with that context that we are now in this section two years into the famine. So the time when Joseph got sold into slavery was 17. He was 17 years old. Now he's approximately 39 years old. And this is where we see the story of his brothers coming to him. They don't know it's him, but they're coming asking for food and they're asking for help because Egypt was the place that had all the extra food stored up because of Joseph's dream. And so, or sorry, from Pharaoh's dream, Joseph's interpretation. So here's where we go. We start off in this part where he says that in our notes, we admit our painful past. What did Joseph do? Well, he admitted his painful past, and then we forgive those who hurt us. Genesis 45, one through six. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. 
So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. That first thing that he did is he wept in acknowledgement of his pain. He admitted that what you did was wrong. There's no glossing over pain that we have. Even if we need to have a conversation with someone who hurt us, it's not that we say, oh, no, it's, 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 it's okay. When people apologize to me, I often find myself saying, it's okay. It's okay. It's not okay. There are times in which it is not okay. And so for us to be able to say, no, I'm not glossing over what you did. That, that really hurt me. And I admit it. And I've, there's wounds and there's pain and there's heartache. But we don't end at admitting it because that goes to, that can lead itself towards blame. But what does Joseph say? He says, do not be angry with yourselves. He frees them from the blame game. He forgives them. And imagine from the ages of 17 to 39, he had 22 years that he could have harbored bitterness in his heart. He could have remembered that when he was 17, the dream he had was that his brothers and his parents would bow down before him. And he could have said, my dream has happened and now flee out of my presence. And he would have been, you know, right or justified, I should say. He would have been justified to do that. But he wept in front of them so that they knew the pain that it caused and acknowledged it. But he freed them from being, holding on to that blame by forgiving them of what they had done. So again, this is not a time for raising hands because it's a sensitive topic, but looking at your life, have you, have you all had a moment or moments or seasons that you've admitted the painful past was painful. Not glossing it over. Not just saying, oh yeah, no, that stunk that you know, my dad left at this time. Or, oh, that stunk that my mom was addicted to drugs. Or, oh, that, you know, that stunk that this happened. But, you know, I, uh... Have you been able just to sit in that and allow yourself to grieve that loss of what your hopes would have been as a, for a family growing up? Have you been able to just sit and admit that it was painful? But then when that happens, can you make that leap through God's grace, through his Holy Spirit power, through discipleship? Can you make that leap to then going beyond admitting it, but forgiving those who've done it? Again, I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying that this is something that you know, I have a 35-minute message and you guys are going to be fine and go on your day. This is tough stuff. But it's stuff that's worth us looking into because, again, if we don't want to keep perpetuating the same baggage and patterns as our past, then what does God need to do in us to help shape the generations of the future? Some of us have young kids. That seems easier for us to be able to change that now. Some of us don't have young kids. Some of us, our kids are grown. Some of us, we have grandchildren um, that are growing up. And it's like, well, how do I go back? How do I navigate that? 
And I don't have the right answer for you. But I know that it would be so valuable for if you weren't around much because you were working to take your kids, grown kids, let them know the same words that Jesus heard from the Father, I love you. You are my son or you are my daughter. You are valuable to me. And I'm so pleased with you. I'm so proud of you. There's no age limit on hearing those words from your parents and being blessed by it. Maybe you go and you tell your grandkids how much you love them and, and share stories and be able to let them know how much they have hope in Jesus, even if that wasn't something that their parents or you experienced as a kid. So have you admitted your painful past was painful? And who do you need to forgive and what does that look like? What does Joseph do next, verses 7 and 8? And what can we learn from it? That we can, like Joseph, reflect on how God's hand guided us through our painful past. God's hand guided us through our painful past. Verse 7, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Again, he had 22 years. He had a lot of time to reflect on his painful past. And what conclusion did he come to? Again, not blaming his brothers, not holding vindictiveness in, their, in his heart, not waiting for the moment to drop the hammer and destroy, not just his family, but notice he, said he saved a remnant for his people, for God's people. Had Joseph given in to bitterness and not forgiveness, then the people of Israel wouldn't have moved into the land of Goshen with in, in Egypt, they wouldn't have been able to withstand the famine, and then the people wouldn't have been able to flourish after the exodus, and then after going into the promised land. That Joseph is such a pivotal person, and so much of that could land on, do I blame and hold people in vindictiveness? Do I set people free and forgive? And so he forgave them, and he said, what conclusion did he come to? Who sent him to Egypt? Not his brothers. God did. God navigated and guided him through pain. God navigated him through heartache and wounds, being falsely accused and improperly jailed, treated poorly. But God never left his side. That you have gone through pain and trials and mistreatment and heartache. God won't be leaving your side. If we lean into him, if we continue to have that relationship with him, if we continue to ask him to help us and mold us and shape us and make us into his image, then we're free to forgive. We're free to let go of our blame. Last point. Yes, we admit our painful past and we forgive those who hurt us. Yes, we reflect on how God's hand guided us. It was God who sent me, not you brothers. It was God who sent me through this. It was God who put you through difficult times or was with you during difficult times so that you could be a blessing. So in our notes here, we choose to be a blessing because the old is gone. The captivity from the past is no longer here. We are no longer defined by our last names and our history. We are defined by our new names in God's salvation. So what does this say? Verse 9 through 15. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. 
Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, you, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all that you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him weeping, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them, and afterward his brothers talked with him. Joseph chose to be a blessing. He chose to take all the heartache and not to hold it vindictively over someone, over his family, over the past, but to be able to be free from it, to admit that it hurt and to forgive, to reflect on how God has still been working in the midst of the hurt, and to be able to choose to say, out of the pain that I've experienced, I could hold on to the pain, I could bury the pain, I can bless other people through the pain and say, I'm so sorry for what, you're gone, what you've gone through. I've been through something similar. I, I don't know everything about what you're experiencing, but, but there's hope. There's blessing. We don't say that tritely as a platitude. We say that truthfully with a grateful attitude. And so for me, recognize that because I was depressed and suicidal, I know that I don't know people or sorry, I don't know when people have that. I don't know all that they're going through. I can't say I've lived in your shoes. I've sat in your chair. But I can say I've been in a similar place. And there is hope. And God can use the pain of our lives to bless other people. He can use the darkest moments that we've experienced, whether it's through family or other areas, to be a light to other people, to shine the way and to point them to Christ and the cross of Christ. Joseph chose to be a blessing. He chose to be able to say, bring everybody here. I'll take care of you. We'll make it through this famine together. No matter how much you hurt me, God has done this for the saving of many lives. And he blessed them. And imagine the beauty of that reunion. Yes, between him and his brother Benjamin, who was his youngest brother, but also through him and his dad. That Pete Cazero says this, the great news of Christianity is that your biological family of origin does not determine your future. God does. What has gone before you is not your destiny. Our past doesn't have to be our destiny. We are products of it, not prisoners to it. As 2 Corinthians 5.17 talks about, when it talks about how we're regenerated, regenerated into a new creation, that if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And so in the same way that when we go to the beach and we have sand and we are able to be clean again, we don't put on our dirty, sandy clothes again. In the same way that we've been made new, we don't have to put on the former past of how we lived and how our families lived and what that looks like going generations back. We can make a change. We, you, can be the generation that changes generations to come. Because we see this in Exodus 20, verses 5 and 6. This is during the Ten Commandments that God talks about how not to bow down to idols. It's in that commandment. But he says, you shall not bow down to the idols or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. 
that we may be under the shadow of a few generations behind us because of the pain and the heartache and the patterns of our, of our families, but we can also be the one that shines the light on the next thousand generations. You can be the change if you let God change you from the inside out. And if, and if we allow him to work in us and through us, if we go back in order to go forward, thousands of generations could be blessed through what God is working in you in the same way that thousand generations were blessed through Joseph, keeping a remnant of his people, providing for them, blessing them, and watching them multiply over the generations. So what does this look like? Um, to go back in order to go forward, a lot of prayer, a lot of prayer when we're listening. Remember we just heard the Be Still series when we, we don't just go back and forth and rush around through our lives. A lot of times of slow stillness and silence to pray and ask God to stir up. What are the wounds? I don't even see God. What are the things I'm not even aware of? Give me eyes to see the patterns I've bought into and I don't even intend to do it. For some of us, it might require being able to, to do a tool called a genogram, which I do not have time to navigate, but it is incredibly eye-opening. The, the very gist of it is that you write out the people in your family, and you make, uh, it's like, a, it's like a, um, a map almost. So you draw, you draw certain uh, things. So if there's abuse, you make a certain line there. If there was people cut off, you do lines through their family tree. If, and it's basically, you start to look back. And when I did this for the first time, I would see oh my gosh, there's rejection between siblings in every single generation, and, and that's what I'm experiencing now. There's cutoff between generations. There, there's people who, don't, who we don't talk about our problems, we don't communicate, so we stuff them, we hide them, and then we flee. Those are the patterns of my family, that there's alcoholism, there's heart disease, there's struggles. So not all of them may be sin, like heart disease isn't a sin, but it's a pattern that if I'm not aware of, my dad had his first heart attack, heart attack when he's 36, 37, I'm 35. If I'm not aware of these things, how can I prepare for these things? And so I, if you're interested in that, I'll give you um, uh, worksheets and things on that. It was super eye-opening for me. It's not easy. But it's eye-opening and powerful. And maybe, it's, maybe what we need to do is prayer. Maybe you do a genogram. Maybe you go to counseling and being able to find, okay, here's why I find myself doing these same patterns. And, and what does that look like? Finding a godly Christian counselor to walk through things with you by through the grace of God and through the discernment of the Holy Spirit to walk through how to unpack this baggage in order to be built up into God's image. And so, as we close, whatever that looks like, there might be steps we need to take. The Lord can speak to you, can discern that. But for this morning, if you hear nothing else, just to remember that, yeah, we are all products of our family past, but we do not have to be prisoners to it. For where the Spirit of the Lord is freedom, that you... If you deal with the things, if you ask God to work in you and through you and mold you and shape you and change those patterns, you don't have to say, well, this is just how it's going to be for my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids. And that what you would do would impact more people than a bust of a San Diego Zoo owner or founder. That impacts generations. Yeah. 
if you change and allow God to work in you and change the next thousand generations, oh man, those generations may not know your name, but they will bask in the glow of the freedom that you helped pave the way for. It's not easy, but it's powerful and it's good. And by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do this. Father, we thank you that for the story of Joseph, we thank you that he was a real person with real family problems and that we can really see that our families aren't the only ones that have ups and downs and heartaches and wounds. We thank you, Lord, that yes, we know that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are patriarchs that love you and and even when we love you, Lord, doesn't mean that we can't make mistakes or hurt people that we love. So Lord, I pray that you would speak in us and through us to us, God, in order to figure out what are the patterns that we struggle with? What are the things that we need to have you work in us and through us to find our identity, not in our parents, but in our heavenly father? God, we are products of our past and that could be painful, but we are no longer prisoners for you have come to set the captives free when we build our lives upon you, the cornerstone And when you alone are that cornerstone, God, that we are weak and we can be made strong because the old is gone, the new has come, and we rejoice in the freedom we have in you. Help us to do the hard work as Joseph did so we could bless generations upon generations as Joseph did. We need your help, Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.